Blog Talk Radio. I own it, I did that, not proud that that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power. Hi, everybody. This is Catherine. Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm joined tonight by my fabulous co-hosts, Amanda and Jean. Hi, ladies. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Hi. And we also welcome our guests, Sarah and Sharon. Hi, girls. Hi. Hi, everyone. Welcome. So before we get into tonight's topic, maybe you noticed last week and this week that we officially have a theme song. It's a song called I Own It, and check out these lyrics. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. When I face it, I take back a little dignity. I'm not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. Free, 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 free. Now, if that's not a sobriety anthem, I don't know what is, but here's the best part. It's written and performed by our very own co-host, Jean. Hooray. Jean, you know, you're, you're a woman of many talents. Um, talk to us about the song and how it came into existence and what it means to you. Well, uh, I have a, a past life as a performing songwriter and a recording artist. And um, I wrote that song several years um, before I really started dealing um, with even realizing that, you know, I needed to change. And that, so that song isn't about recovery at all. It's really just kind of an epiphany I had one day um, that this, I, I always thought I was strong because I kept a lot of secrets. You know, and if something bad happened to me, man, I just stuffed it right down <laughs> inside and sat on it. And I thought that made me a strong person. And then one day I kind of was, realized, you know what, I'm killing myself from the inside out with this. And that uh, what the people I really admired and, and the quality I really wanted for myself was not to hide those things, but to be able to say, yep, you know what, that happened, that is true, that was me, and just own it. I just, I just had this desire to just be free of all of those secrets. And... Um, it wasn't until, I mean, I, I, it was recorded around 2008, I guess, and um, and so that, you know, that album is out there, and I was listening to it not, not that long ago and realized, you know what, this is a, this song is about recovery. This is, hmm. this so perfectly applies to, to you know, just taking ownership of ourselves in recovery. So, uh, I, you know, I shared it with uh, Catherine and Amanda, and they, they thought it was a fitting song, so... Uh, we decided to to share it with our listeners, and I, I say though the only thing you'll notice is that it talks about the power that weakness had on me, and that was that was how I understood it at the time. And I think um, through recovery we come to learn that you know that's not weakness, that's maybe silence or secrets that have the power over us, but it isn't really it isn't really weakness. So if I if I were to re-record it as a recovery anthem, I'd probably change that word, but. 
But uh, I, I'm glad that, that it's being shared with our listeners because it is a special song, and it, it really is about a special awakening. Yeah, no, we we really appreciate you sharing it with us. And, I, you know, I love these these moments that maybe they're God shots or, or whatever we term them as that, you know, our authentic selves speaking to us over the years until we finally get sober. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there was a little bit of that going on. Um, I think so. so. I think I was really hungry for authenticity at that point. Yes. Yeah, that sounds familiar, as does the keeping secrets part. Um, but well, but I wait, I wasn't I the only one? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but, but I think it's just it's super cool that it's your song, and thank you for sharing it with us. Um, so listeners, the, the lyrics to I Own It are posted on our website, www.thebubblehour.com, um, on the tab Intro Music. So, you can take a look at that, and thanks, Jean. So moving my into pleasure. tonight's topic, we'll, we'll be talking about something that's one of my biggest, was one of my biggest excuses for not getting sober, and that's travel. So, you know, when we think about it, you know, we're cruising along, we're doing great. Maybe you've, you've built your secure sober bubble at home. You've dumped all the booze. You've built a network of sober people to support you. Maybe you're praying or reading about recovery. Um, you've stocked up on candy or maybe started an exercise program or both. Um, you know, you feel good. You feel prepared for everything or anything until you actually have to leave your bubble. So whether it's a vacation or a work trip, a family party or wedding, we can stay sober while traveling. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So starting with Sarah, Sarah, you've had a lot of experience with flying, drinking, not drinking, and dealing with the anxiety around flying. So let's mm-hmm. let's start with you. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, well, I would say that um, traveling was one of the hardest parts of sobriety uh, for me. I didn't travel for professional reasons, but about 10 years ago I began traveling with my husband, um, to these wonderful uh, networking meetings that he was attending, and his firm um, paid for me to accompany accompany him. So, um, you know, we traveled a little bit before then, but this sort of pick, picked up our um, amount of travel several times a year. A lot of it was overseas. Um, and, of course, vacations for me were always um, – you know, love to have a good time, love to have, um, you know, drink and 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 was an excuse to uh, drink as much as I wanted. But then adding in um, the traveling, um, I have a very, I still have it, um, a very irrational flying phobia. And I know that it's not unusual. So, um it just really was very hard for me. I was aware um, that I had a drinking problem um, for a couple of years before I stopped. And while I wouldn't say that I was relapsing because I wasn't ever fully putting myself into a recovery, um, I was stopping and starting quite a bit. And when I look back on it, um i would say i wasn't you know i'd be taking a break and i wouldn't drink and i wouldn't have been drinking for several weeks maybe even 6 weeks and we'd be taking off for a trip 
and we'd get to the airport, and that's when my resolve just completely um, just became undone. I, 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 I was so anxious about the flying, and um, so it would just the drinking would start up at the airport, and then of course when once I got to wherever it was I was going, um, you know, well, well just going to keep on drinking. Um, so I would say, like, my fear of flying combined with a celebratory nature of the group. It was an it's an international group of people. We see the same people for the most part on these trips. I've been to some wonderful cities. It's just all very exciting, and um, so the the flying and then getting um being in a in a place where the booze was just flowing and um people were you know going out to bars afterwards and um sure uh you know I was you know one of the big partiers and um so anyway when I really fully grasped the idea of recovery and you know, really admitted to my alcoholism, um, I knew that traveling was going to be one of my biggest challenges because of the fear. So I, I just made sure that for um, I didn't go anywhere for a while. I passed up on a couple of these wonderful trips, and um, I made sure that I was strong in a day-to-day uh, way that I could, um, in my sobriety, and that I could go somewhere socially um, and feel fairly confident. Um, then I um, went on my first trip. So I'd say it was about eight months before I actually flew, and I put together a little bubble um, package for myself that I learned from you know this from this uh, concept from um, the BFB and. I, I guess people know what that is, the Booze Free Brigade. And um, so my my package consisted of um, some cozy socks, um, a wool-knitted heart from one of my BFB friends, um, a sobriety rock from Amanda, lavender oil, yoga music, a pillow. I just made this whole little package in a pretty Ziploc not Ziploc, a pretty zip bag. Um, and it was the ritual of ma- making it, getting it ready, packing it, and then having it on the plane. It really did help me quite a bit. And, um, you know, I got through um, my first trip to um, Toronto. It was a shorter flight from, I live in New York, it was a shorter flight. And then, um, but at around 10 months, I went to Europe, um, which was a longer flight and, you know, a little bit harder for me. So I think that now that, you know, I have um, almost 15 months of sobriety, um, the flying is still going to be hard for me. Other things have become easier, socializing and being in a situation with, um, you know, a nice restaurant or something, a wedding, something. I, I feel pretty confident, but the flying um, part will, I think, will always be a little bit of a um, challenge for me. And the concept of the bubble is really a wonderful. Um, I just think it's a wonderful idea, and it's self-care, 
that anyone can do um, if they do have this uh, similar fear, because I know I'm not alone in um, fear of flying, and I do think that those trips sort of contributed to um, the progression of my alcoholism. So um, I was that afraid. <laughs> so that's my my story. I I hope I I hope I help somebody. Well, that's definitely so Absolutely. helpful. I mean, it really is. It, it really is such a common thing that you know anybody, alcoholics or otherwise, can talk about this this anxiety around flying. And I just, I really admire the approach that you took, Sarah. Um, you know, to to take that self care with you. I, I I think that sounds really. I'm, I was picturing this pretty little package that you you put together mm-hmm. and just. It's, that sounds really comforting. Mm-hmm. It never occurred to me before, you know. So right, it's it's just you know these little things that um, we can do that uh, the ritual nature of them, the self care nature of them, can really help us to feel. Um, I think maybe you know you're not in control when you're on a uh, flying but you can feel more empowered more uh pardon this uh but more grounded you feel more uh contained yourself um mm-hmm. there was something about it that really did help me quite a bit that's great and i think um it also this is amanda i think it it's great too that you recognize that it was keeping you stuck and so that you needed to mm. Um, address it and then continue to address it because that's something, you know, fear of flying is, you know, that's a, it's a separate issue that many people have, um, but mm-hmm. it's separate and obviously, you know, we, um, you know, I, I know I used to, I don't, I'm not really afraid of flying, but I still, it, it didn't matter if it was a 6 a.m. flight, I always had a drink, you mm-hmm. know, because it was like, mm-hmm. I was just nervous enough that I just needed to take the edge off. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I it didn't. It it wasn't. Well, I don't. I don't travel that often, anyways. It was used to be a once a year thing for me. But um, it, um, you know, just acknowledging that and preparing for it. It's kind of like you know any other situation. If we know this is a trigger and we gear up and and we have a plan, you know, you, the only thing you can't do on a plane is escape. Like we always say, have an escape route. <laughs> right. So we don't want you <laughs> jumping out of planes. <laughs> Right. But maybe the yoga music and those kinds of things are a little bit of an escape, you know, just getting centered. Yeah, they and, um, and they help I, with I your anxiety. Right. The lavender right. oil is grounding. Yoga music is soothing. Um, yeah. The whole thing just, you know, helps with, with the anxiety. Um, so, you know, the, the self-care little package, the bubble package, you can, you know, that concept could be used in other circumstances, maybe not flying, but Absolutely. you know, going somewhere where you're feeling a little um, vulnerable. Well, that's all—it's all very, very encouraging um, and and comforting. So I I know that you're definitely helping people tonight, Sarah. So I, I know you're feeling a little under the weather. So anytime, if, if I don't know if you're dropping off now or. Um, if you want to stick around, we're we're happy to have you for the rest of okay. the show. Thank you. Um, thank you for being here with us. It's always it's always nice to hear you. Yeah, thank you. I, I've i so many of the so many of these these concepts I've really just 
learned in recovery and it they they seem so simple and yet <laughs> i don't know why um i i just have having the um a sober network of people is so important and getting connected online or you know in real life through um recovery meetings whatever people need to do you get these wonderful um you know ideas creative ideas and support from people who are you know going through the same thing you're going through and you know until you um really you know allow that connection to, you know when you allow that connection to happen you begin to get better Absolutely. you begin to get well yeah and um i'm i'm sure glad to be on this journey with you for sure thank you so much um i think i will say um good night um so and i'm going to listen um later that's great i hope you feel okay. better thank you for thanks being so with much us. guys thanks, thanks sarah, sarah. So we're going to break the show kind of into two parts of travel, work, travel, and vacation. Um, and let's start starting with the work travel. This topic is really near and dear to my heart. Um, I travel about 75% of the time for work, and I have to do a lot of entertaining dinners and cocktail parties and such. So really the whole enterprise is just wrapped up in booze for me. Um, I, I just Before I got sober, I really could not see how it would be possible to do my job successfully um, without drinking, but also how I could endure the rigors of the road without drinking. So when I was thinking about it, I I had to admit to myself that I really felt entitled to those drinks. So my thought process was, well, if you had to work as hard or as much as I do, and if you had to be away from home like I do, you'd drink too. Um, but there's also sort of this practical sense that, well, the client wants to order more wine, so I guess it would be impolite to decline it. Um, it really felt like heavy-duty boozing was a core part of the job, and even to be taken seriously, or I, I work in a fairly male-dominated industry, so kind of be one of the guys, um, you know, I had to be in the mix, either keeping up with the drinking or leading the charge, and I think, I I guess, looking back, you know, in those situations, I felt like the alcohol took the edge off. It made me feel bolder and braver than I really was, made me less nervous. Um, And then looking back, being alone in a hotel room, you know, after the, the evening's events would allow me to drink the way I wanted to. Um, and somehow being away from home or alone in a hotel room, it felt like a fictional life, a fictional me. Like because I was away from home, it really wasn't that bad or something. So I was trying to look back, and it was, there was a lot sort of wrapped up here. And um, I'd, I'd like to welcome our guest, Sharon, who I know, Sharon, you've had a lot of experience with work travel and with whining and dining clients. Um, so maybe can you tell us a, a little bit about that? Yeah, thank you. I, I love it, Catherine. You said that travel is one of the reasons you use it as, as an excuse to not uh, to not stop drinking. Um, and that being alone in a hotel room allowed you to drink the way you wanted because that's the same thing that happens for me. Um, when I first tried to quit, my addictive voice would say things like, "Wait, what? You're not going to drink when we're in Paris? Like, 
mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> can't not be in Paris and not drink wine. And what about when you go to Italy? You're not going to drink wine in Italy? Um, and meanwhile, I had no plans to go to Paris or Italy. <laughs> it was just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it wasn't even going to Europe at that point. Like, I had no plans. I would just, I would just get in a panic about, you know, what would I do when you were in a place like that? Um, but also in my industry, we do um, a lot of the same things. Um, um, I work in an industry where I'm actually being wooed a lot by clients, or I guess clients are not the right word, but I guess I'm the client being wooed. Um, and and they spend a lot of money on um, on you know bring bringing us uh, we're having fancy dinners and there's usually a lot of alcohol and the alcohol is always uh, free flowing and you know, I just talk about about last, this time last year um, I was in Geneva for um, for a conference and I was invited to a dinner with a, a fairly small group less than 20 people where it's rumored that they spend, that they do this dinner every year, um, and they spend about $10,000 on wine for less than 20 people. Um, and uh, I drink more than my fair share. <laughs> I drink more if, than my fair share. All, it was, if we all had been at that dinner, I don't know that $10,000 would have been enough. I mean, that might have been <laughs> enough know. for me. <laughs> I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> and, you know, there was one point at the dinner where they where they brought out like like a hundred year old brandy, which I never had. But I was like, all right, <laughs> you know, like, I already had probably ten glasses of wine, and I was ordering the most expensive brandy I could get. And you know, it was just it was just um, I never had an off. I never I don't have an off switch. So as soon as I mm-hmm. start, there's just never enough to stop. And I was in and, and my travel has increased in the last two years in this industry. And um, it it has just gotten worse. I think that I think that part of my progression into needing to stop drinking was because of my travel. Um, so uh, I quit drinking last September, September first. I'm at almost 150 days. Um, and about three to four weeks after I quit, I had to take um, my first business trip as a sober person, and that was to um, wine country out west. Um, the hotel was in a was was in a winery, part of a winery. Um, so you know there was, of course, everything was wine themed. And dinner on the second night was at a remote winery, which was you know sort of in the middle of this farm, and it was just a kind of pop up building in the middle of the farm, and um, it smelled like fermented grapes, which kind of was off putting. And the only thing they had to drink was wine or tap water. So. Um, hmm. I was not in a great state of mind at that dinner. <laughs> um, I knew that I wanted to stay sober, um, um, and I and I made it through sober, but I was kind of annoyed about it the whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but here's how I did it. Um, I knew, you know, I, I knew I planned ahead, and I knew that I, that 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 this was going to be an issue. I knew where we were going. I wasn't taken by surprise. Um, um, and I, I planned ahead, and I, this is going to really kind of sound silly, but it really helped me. Um, part of one of the online store groups that I'm part of um, has a little bird um, as a little as a mascot, and so I made sure before I went that I had um, some of these little birds. And I had um, I got a, a bracelet, a silver bracelet, and I got a charm on the bracelet of this bird, and the charm fell kind of right into the palm of my hand. And I wore it the whole time I was there, and I rubbed, like, the paint off of it. Um, I could squeeze it when I was feeling anxious, and I could just look down on it. 
and it just reminded me that I wasn't alone, you know, that mm-hmm. even though I was physically the only person in the building not drinking alcohol, I was not actually alone in this battle. <laughs> um, and it helped. It helped a lot. Um, I also, you know, part of the online spell group, I, I, I connected and I told people that where I was and I was having a hard time. And some people texted me and stayed on Facebook and, and kind of had that connection. I would go into the bathroom and connect there and talk to people there. And um, um, I had another sober friend who was who was texting me, like, you know, goofy, inspirational pictures, like, you know, you're an amazing person and, you know, just all this, some jokey stuff to try to keep my mind off of it. Um, and, you know, I, all of that stuff really helped. It, it it helped get through that initial, like, okay, I'm 30 days sober and I'm facing all of this. Um, but on a more regular basis, um, you know, I still travel. I've traveled probably about five times um, since getting sober. And um, I even did a couple weeks ago, I was actually in Las Vegas. Um, so I even did Vegas, and I, I made it through sober there too. I'm kind of proud of that. Um, Excellent. And I, I, you know, I try to do this. A talisman thing too. You know, I have another. I have another bracelet that I wear that doesn't have a bird on it. But I have another bracelet that has a secret message etched in the inside. Um, and um, I uh, listen to the Bubble Hour. I mean, thank you guys because you guys are just absolutely critical and have been critical, um, especially in my travel because um, I don't have much chance to listen to podcasts um, when I'm at home. But I'll load up my phone with a bunch of them and. You guys are with me, you know. I'm probably going back to Geneva in a few weeks, and you guys will be with me on the plane there. <laughs> um, you know, you're with me on my way to Vegas, and you guys are just with me. I try and make sure that I stay connected um, in some way. I also, there's um, some 12-step group um, secret tapes on, I, on iTunes that I download as well, um, just so that I'm kind of there mentally, you know, that I don't, leave and forget that I'm actually, that I'm in a different world. I think I used to drink when I was on these trips, like you said, Kathleen, I used to, I used to be drinking these trips because it was like away from home, you know, and, and I felt like I could be more free. And so I'm trying to make sure that I, I don't, I don't do that again. Um, yeah. You know, everything I, I like to do, I, I, sorry, well, I was just going to say, so this is Catherine, so much of what you're talking about, Sharon, is about connectivity. I, I love this you know, having a little charm or a totem to, you know, physically hold on to and then also just checking in with people, having podcasts and things to listen to to just really keep you. Because I felt that too, that sort of fictional life. I'm I'm in a different universe if I'm over here. And the truth is I'm still inside of myself. So I just, as, so much of what you're talking about is resonating and, and um, about keeping connected. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's it's really been a big, really been a big part because also too when I travel, sometimes I go to Asia, um, or sometimes I go to Europe. I'm kind of like off the time calendar for my family, and mm-hmm. and even actually on the West Coast because we're in East Coast time zone. Even on the West Coast, like you know, they'll be going to bed. My kids will be going to bed at at eight or nine o'clock while I'm still in the middle of a work day. You know, at five o'clock. So um, I feel like I'm just to- totally disconnected there, just from my basic, you know, my regular family. So it is mm-hmm. important that, for me to kind of keep reminding myself. Um, plus, I enjoy it. Like I enjoy all these people too. So it's not it's not a hardship. Um, 
the other thing I try to do mentally is I try to make sure that the idea of not drinking is not a punishment when I'm on the road, right? So mm. if I'm feeling anxiety about it, like I try to, if everybody around me is drinking wine and my brain says to me something like, you know, it's so unfair that you're not, you don't get to, you know, have a drink with them. Like I, I tend really tend not to try and like have sugar all that often, but I'll just go up and I'll get myself, you know, Shirley Temple or I'll, you know, have some sort of like crazy juice concoction, you know, that I'll, that I'll ask the bartenders to whip up for me or, um, you know, I just, or, or I'll have extra dessert <laughs> or, you know, like I'll just treat myself to, uh, you know, there was a, in Vegas I went and I bought myself like a pint of Ben and Jerry's and I would never sit down and like, you know, eat that on a regular day, but I just, you know, made sure I had something that like, I was at least feeling like, you know, I'm still treating myself a little bit. Everybody else is getting to have a good time and I might not be able to have a good time in the same way, but at least I'm doing something that like is not total deprivation because I don't deal really well with deprivation. I like to have it all. I was going to say that I, um, I kind of had that same um, realization that I was keeping score, like, okay, everyone else is on their fifth drink, and and so my resentment would sort of rise with their number of drinks <laughs> at events. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And finally I'm like, well, it's not like I want five virgin pina coladas anyway. Like, I don't drink, so why am I trying to equal, you know, like, why am I feeling resentful. I, I had to stop keeping score and do exactly what you just said, which is stop thinking about a, that the drink is, you know, something I'm missing out on and I have to somehow keep up with a compensation package, you know, to go with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I told a funny story. I once, I once, um, <laughs> I, I did the same thing and I once did this at an, an event that I was at where I, I told this story on New Year's to the BFC group, um, where I drank too much pineapple juice. <laughs> and I'm not sure if you know that, like, but it's just straight up pineapple juice. Pineapple juice is a meat tenderizer. Um, or it's like the bromo oh, no. pineapple juice is a meat tenderizer. You can actually literally, like, you can get, like, really sick off pineapple juice. And I went in this the wrong way. <laughs> I was trying to keep up with everybody. <laughs> Well, listen, but that that is still better than sort of a 3 a.m. panic attack with, you know, cotton mouth and fuzzy head in a hotel room after 10,000 bottles of wine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. You know what's funny, Susie, you know what you were saying about counting people's drinks? I kind of do that still now, but it, uh, but I've reframed the way I think about it. Um, I, you know, when I'm, I'm actually kind of enjoy being around tipsy people now because, I have a little bit of like social anxiety about these, you know, these chit chatting things, these socializing events where you have to sit around and just make small talks with people for a really like painfully long amount of time. And alcohol used to really help me with that because I would, you know, I would lower my inhibitions and I could just talk and, you know, I would always regret what I would say the next day, but, you know, at least I was seeming charming. I thought I was seeming charming and being funny and whatever. Um, so now when I'm around people and they're starting to get tipsy, I, it, it's had a really funny effect on me because I started to realize, like, they're not paying attention to me anymore. <laughs> like, they yeah. don't care yeah. anymore about me. 
they're only focused on themselves, and they'll probably still tell the same story four or five times over and over again and laugh at their own jokes and blah, blah, blah. But I stopped, like, I realized that the focus of, like, the focus in the room has probably never been on me, but, like, it makes me relax more, which I don't know. I don't, I don't, I haven't heard anybody else ever say that, but it really, like, I don't mind being around picky people because I realize that they're not, they don't really care about me at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, what this is happening, I mean, what I really heard you say was that you, you reframe the way you think about the whole thing. And I I just think that if there's something that I've learned about how to get and stay sober, it's reframing my thinking about all of this. Yeah. So, yeah, I love that. It's true. Um, you know, I have to say, I had, go ahead, Sharon. No, no, I was going to change just last topic, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, I mean, I was just thinking, you know, I had a pretty elaborate story concocted in my head about why alcohol was, I really felt like it was an essential, non-negotiable part of business travel and business social events. And, you know, I, I prepping for this show, I sort of painfully thought back to how the truth really started catching up with me, like, you know, I threw up on a 6 a.m. cross-country flight because I was so hungover from staying out until 2 a.m. the night before. And, you know, I kind of told the guy next to me that I was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he believed me. Um, You know, and and so this reframing the thinking was, you know, I, I really felt like I had to get aligned just with my truth. And my truth was that I could not control my drinking. I, I'm just like you with no off switch. Despite my best intentions or my best thinking, like, okay, tonight there's important people here. I'm only going to have, you know, one glass of wine at dinner. It It just didn't happen and I didn't have any big consequences but I could have um, work-wise and I just couldn't stop drinking especially at the end you know once I started that was it I really couldn't predict how out of control I might get even at a work event Um, and I kind of I was like you Sharon that about I think it was a week after I got sober I hit the road for six or seven trips in a row so you know about six or seven weeks of travel and um I so I really put all of this sobriety stuff to the test right out of the gate. Um it's just so nice to hear you say and sort of my own experiences affirming this that this is possible. If anyone's thinking it's not possible, we're here to prove that it is. Um and I survived Vegas a couple of times too. It's super annoying <laughs> but it's not <laughs> impossible. Um <laughs> You know, in my reframing of the thinking, you've heard me say this before, that I started asking myself, is that true? Every time an excuse popped into my head. So if I thought, oh, this is going to be hard or I can't do this, and I just ask myself, is that true? Um, And I had to acknowledge, no, it's not true. Um, And that was the start of really changing my thinking. So I, I made a little list here of my tried and true methods. So I just appreciate all of you kind of chiming in here any of these resonate um you know the first thing is when when i'm heading to an event uh you know i reach out to a sober friend before and after that kind of gets to the connectivity stuff that sharon mentioned and then i still do this i play the tape forward you know i remember what the negative outcomes were from drinking and i can tell you that it is so invigorating now 
to go to events and know that I'm standing solidly on my two feet, literally, because I was a big faller downer. But um, <laughs> And I, I, I did once towards the end fall down at a work event, and it was horrifying. Um, but I'm prepared for any conversation with the CEO, with an important client. You know, I'm clear-eyed and ready. And recently I, I was in – on a trip and I had to, I was going home after an event, so taking a 10 p.m. flight and I was, I shared a taxi with a senior executive and um, he was one of these people that was really all business and he just started firing questions at me about my business and I was, I was on, I was able to answer the questions. I wasn't slurry. I wasn't even worried about being slurry. I wasn't fuzzy. I wasn't concerned about it at all. And that was really empowering. And that was, that's more essential to my success than me having a drink and being sort of one of the guys. I don't know. Does any of that feel true to, to any of you? I think that's wondering very what true. You said the next day. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, another thing is, is that I, we've said this before in the holiday episode, but I I now know that even if it's a work event, I don't have to stay at every event until the bitter end. Um, in the beginning, I would go for the bare minimum of kind of that quote-unquote face time, and then I would just hightail it back to my hotel room. Um, but one networking trick that I figure out in advance is who are the key people that I have to see and I kind of work the room as efficiently as possible to kind of shake hands and kiss babies and sort of chat with those people. And then when I graciously depart when I need to, um, I've seen all the important people. I've, I've had those conversations. And, and let's face it, a lot of times people are drinking and they don't even notice if I leave. Um, so it's, I think it's just we can get caught in that trap of feeling like, oh, we have to be at an event the whole time. And it's just really not true. Um, and then, you know, yeah. I was Karen. I hear what you're saying. And I, I, I don't know how many, how little sleep I've gotten on trips just staying out till 3 or 4 a.m. just because the party wasn't over. And if the party wasn't over, I was just going to be there. So it's so much better now to be rested. I mean, these are business trips after all. You know, it's not, it's not, um, but I was treating them almost like they were vacation or something. But, um, you know, it's so much better to be rested in the morning and be able to get up for things and, and not worry about a 7 a.m., you know, wake-up call and um, not worry about possibly being hungover the next morning and, not even worry about like what did I say last night, you know? Because I have my my mouth just runs when I think I'm being charming. I'm I'm probably usually being um, offensive <laughs> or like telling ridiculous, embarrassing stories about myself. Um, so it's it's very nice and much. Hopefully, it will be much better for my career. I hope that's the yeah. Case. And I mean, even even if we're not saying anything offensive, it's just like I could never shut up. I just never <laughs> stopped talking, so I'm sure it was just annoying. <laughs> if nothing else. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think our reputations are definitely burnished more by our, uh, you know, being awake and alert at the morning sessions. And I, I probably about 
three weeks in, I went to a conference where the session started at 8 a.m., and everybody was so hungover, so hungover, and the hotel had messed up the breakfast service in the morning, so the, the breakfast and, most critically, the coffee was not out. Oh, no. <laughs> people, I mean, picture a room of, like, 500 or 499 hungover people and then me. I mean, I really would have been happy for some coffee, but people were dying. <laughs> it just made me feel like, yep, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm here and this I'm not suffering. Um I think we're going to do a whole episode on this of what do you do when people ask if you want to drink, but I I did think I would include that here um especially at these networking events, you know, oh, do you want to drink? I I just say no, thank you. I don't I'd be interested to hear what everybody else says, but I'm I'm just straightforward. I don't really feel the need to explain myself and you know, I remember that any self-consciousness that I have about it's really my own creation. And if I'm just honest about it with myself, it's pretty straightforward to be honest with other people without a whole lot of hoopla. I mean, I know one guy I can remember, I think this was the same trip that I just mentioned, um, you know, he kind of kept going on and on about, oh, you're Irish and you're supposed to be drinking. And I usually just try to play it down with a little humor and just say, well, you know, I I like to march to my own drummer and then change the subject. Um, So I don't know. Amanda, how do you deal with this question at social events? Um, I, well, I do the same thing. I, um, I mean, normally I just say, no, thank you. I don't drink. And, um, but I had one situation. I was actually going to a concert and I, um, I was with a friend and I was meeting some people there from work and, they said, oh, you know, we were texting, and they're like, oh, we have a spot right at the bar. So we walked in, and it was just, you know, you could barely get up to the bar. And um, we were just hanging out for, you know, going to hang out for a half hour before the show. And um, so my friend, you know, and I just were going to have a drink, me, non-alcoholic, but the bartender came up, and, you know, there's a million people there, and he, and he said, what do you have? And I said, she'll have what they're having, and then he turned and walked away. So I knew he thought I was ordering a drink, too. And so we said, whoa, 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 and I called him back, and I said, I'll have a club soda with uh, cranberry juice. And he was like, what, no booze? And I was like, no, no, thank you, I don't drink. And he was like, oh, come on, you have to. And then my friend piped up, and um, who knows, I'm sober, and said, she's had her share. And so that's been my line ever since. You know, when someone asked me, you know, if they really push it, I just, because I, I find it funny, I mean, personally. Um, you know, I'm like, no thanks, I've had my share. And that just kind of stops people dead in their tracks. They don't know what it means, but they 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 suspect. And, um, you know, it just, it 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 it, it kind of, it, it's it's like a light way of saying, you know, I, I, I have my reasons or whatever. Um, so that's, I mean, that's only when I'm, I'm pushed, but, or if I just want to mess with someone a little bit. <laughs> I once had a room service guy try to pressure me. I, I remember this. I ordered a, a burger and fries because that is sort of my um, concession to I'm away from home and sort of the the treating myself thing. I, I, I will get junk food as uh, as room service. But the guy said, and I ordered a you know, seltzer water to go with it, and the guy said, are you sure you don't want a beer? And I said, no, thanks. And he said, 
No, really, doesn't a beer sound really good with a burger and fries? (laughs) And I just thought, like, I need this from the room service guy. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Um, um, this is Sharon. I want to. Yeah, go ahead. I want to. I just want to throw in that um, sometimes when at events like that, when people are are pressing you, you feel like they're pressuring you. But what they're really trying to do is their job. So, if it's like you said, um, uh, Catherine, you know, for someone in sales, they're they're, they're trying. You know, they got to treat the client well, and they've got to show you a good time, and so they really want to do something for you. And I find that if I say no thanks, no thanks then they they want to, like, no, I really want to do something for you. I really want to get you something. So sometimes I'll send them on a mission, and I'll say, well, hmm. I would kill for an O'Doul's, and I cannot find one here. And you know what? People will, like, they'll go and get the waiter to run across the street to the grocery store and bring back the Pellegrino or the O'Doul's or something that you want. Right. And I really feel like, there, I did something for you. And so sometimes I try to give someone an opportunity to just really do something nice for me because that's what they're trying to do. They're just, it's they're so trained that the way to do that is by buying you a drink. Oh, I like so, that. So it's almost yeah, a, that's a good suggestion. Being gracious back towards them, and then same for waiters. You know, the the, the wait staff or the serving staff, it's their job to make sure everyone's drinks are topped up. And so mm-hmm. sometimes, if I'm feeling um, in the right mood, I'll sometimes. Um, pull aside the you know the head waiter or our serving staff and just give them a little tip and just say, can you um, be my guardian angel tonight? Can you help me out here? Um, I need you to look out for me. I don't drink and I need to not drink. So can you make sure that I'm not, you know, can you keep my Diet Coke filled up? And it's amazing how people really want to do nice things for each other. So that's one tip. And even if you just take your wine glass and turn it upside down so that they know, and the first time they come around, just say, like, nothing for me, and give them that, you know, firm message so that you don't keep getting asked. Because I found that hard at at conferences, that every five minutes, more wine myths? Would you like wine myths? I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, but no. (laughs) So it's almost compassion. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know what just occurred to me? The other thing, too, is just to answer them with what you want. Like, I just, I, you know, we always talk about how to say no, but the other thing to, is to just say, I'd have, a, yeah, I'd like a soda water with cranberry juice. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just order what you want. You don't have to explain it. And, you right. know, it's, it's, just, it's just that simple. You don't have to say, no, thanks, I don't want a drink. Just order what you want. Um, exactly. So that's. Sharon, how do you how do you deal with sort of a client? So that's the service people. What about the clients who are there? You know, buying the ten thousand dollars of wine. You're a cheap date now, I reckon. Um, <laughs> with your diet coke you know, or your seltzer water or whatever. But yeah, you know, I um, I'm not sure that I've developed the best way around it right now. I mean, I, I always try to make sure that I have a some sort of drink in my hand so that people don't. Um, you know, feel like I that they need to you know make me happy by getting me something. But at that first trip I was talking to you guys about, that was at the winery. Um, you know, I had a couple of people saying, "Oh, you're not drinking tonight. You're having so much fun. You have so much fun when you're drunk." <laughs> Which I kind of mm-hmm. like. At first I was like, "Oh, you're right. I'm not going to have fun." And then I was like, "Wow, I, that's sort of. I don't really want that to be my reputation." Um, mm. So I kind of tried to flip that around. At first I was like, you know, 
that's that you know you're right i I would be so much more fun if I was drinking, and then I was like, no, no, no. This, that kind of fun is not the kind of person I want to be anymore um but i i i i actually i I lie a little bit, which I know that not everybody's comfortable with that, and maybe I need to develop something different, but um, I've started telling people that that alcohol gives me migraines um and it actually. You know, it does give me headaches. <laughs> I drink too much. <laughs> they usually don't pop mm-hmm. up until the next morning, um, and they don't. And you know, and the way I drink, it really makes me not feel well um, and gives me anxiety. And you know, you know, waking up in the middle. So it actually, it, it's sort of kind of true, but it's mostly not. So I know it's not the best way to deal with it, but for right now, it's working for me. And um, and it gets it just people just stop. You know, like they they don't oh, yeah. try and push you after that if you say that it's sort of a health reason and you know i'm okay um yeah but there's probably got to be a better way to deal with it and at some point i'll probably have to figure that out but um i'm giving myself a lot of concessions um in early sobriety to suggest do what works and maybe figure that all out too i've also reached out to i know of two people in my industry who are sober um, and i've reached out and let them know that I'm also on this path, and um, mm. and and if I see them at events, you know, if they're at similar things, um, it's helpful because then I'm not the only person in the room, um, and I'm not the only person in the room who's not drinking, and um, um, or if and now it's sort of become like maybe it's totally in my head, but if I see people who know the same people that I know, even though like none of them know that we're all sober. If I see those other people, I'm, like, afraid of, of being seen drinking because I'm afraid, oh, they'll come around and say, oh, I saw Shannon the other night, you know, we had a couple of drinks, blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to have, like, you know, I don't want to, it's almost like I'm just protecting my reputation. Like, I don't, I don't, want, I don't want my sober friends to, like, kind of hear, mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but I don't want to, I don't, it's sort of peer pressure in, that I'm installing on myself. Like, I want my sober friends to, like, be happy with me. <laughs> Right. I don't want them to hear that that I'm that I'm out drinking at industry events anymore. Which I wish that I've met sober people in my industry. I'm sure there are. I just haven't met any, <laughs> so I'm gonna keep yeah. my eyes peeled. Um, yeah, I too. tend to deal with it with some humor, and I and I just say, "Hey, man, I I gotta be on my game. I gotta bring my A game to this to this shindig, you know." And then, you know, they sort of think that it's funny or or whatever. Um, and if they say, "Oh, it's fun," I'll say, "Like, come on, am I am I not fun just just on my own or something?" And you know, usually people sort of move on on their own. Um, Another thing that I think a few things that I was thinking of is that I do try to practice a high degree of self care um, when I'm on the road. I never thought I'd be this person, but I do bring my sneakers and I avail myself of the hotel gym or do exercises in my hotel room. I've downloaded some stuff onto my laptops and the exercise programs that I, that I can watch and follow. Um, I do try to make sure that I eat since hunger is uh, really can make me agitated. It's a big trigger for me. And in the beginning, I packed M&Ms, and I just gorge on chocolate in the hotel room. So that was, that was better than wine. Um, and don't forget that you can ask the hotel to clear out the mini bar. So if those little bottles um, were a problem, then you know they can do that in advance. And don't 
don't hesitate to ask. Like Jean said, I mean, they're they're there, they're trained to serve the guests. So um, don't hesitate to do that. And then and you can tell thinking, them that you know, in advance, right? Yeah, I that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then I was thinking about you know, what do I do in my hotel room? And you guys know me. I'm, I'm all into the spiritual stuff. And so I like to meditate. Um, I can recommend Jack Cornfield's Six Essential Guided Meditations, which you can download on his website. And they're all kind of 20 to 30 minutes long. And it's, it's just a nice way to unwind in the hotel. And I was thinking about this that I'll, that I'll share with you. It's a little silly, but um, I keep children's books that I loved on my Kindle because they're kind of easy to read, but they're great stories. They're comforting. Um, I like to reread The Secret Garden and Trumpet of the Swan, um, which I also have on books on tape, which is another kind of alternative to meditation. But sometimes you don't want to read like a big heavy novel because you're, you know, kind of tired from maybe traveling a long distance and sitting in conferences or meetings all day. And it's just a nice, easy little thing to do, um, sort of brain candy. I love Does that. Does anybody have any, any relaxation techniques that they've, that they've tried? Um, well, I have a couple. Um, this is Jean, and I justify the fact that since I'm not spending a small fortune having alcohol sent to my room or packed in my suitcase, um, that affords me a little bit of a budget to book a massage or a spa treatment if there's those services at the hotel. And and that's a nice um, evening treat when you're traveling. Um, work travel for me, you know, my drinking at work travel was almost the opposite of yours, Catherine and Sharon, in that for me um, I really used alcohol to medicate anxiety. And so I would be under pressure all day in those meetings, very high pressure, male-dominated. Um, the guys would go for tequila shots, and I would never do that, ever, because that would weaken my stance amongst them if they ever saw me drunk. So uh, I would they probably thought I was in bed by 8 o'clock, but I was actually in my hotel room, you know, drinking wine and, and medicating my anxiety after a hard day. So I have to find other ways to do that. Um, you know, I still have those high-pressure days, but then I have to relax back in the hotel room. So if I can do something nice for myself that way, or I'll bring um, something to like give myself a pedicure in my hotel room, you know, that kind of icky job that mm-hmm. has to get done every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Um, also have learned there's a lot of value in ritual and delayed gratification for me. So I will pack quite an elaborate little um, package of um, coffee things for the morning, and I'll set it all up the night before so that I can look forward to that, that when I go to bed, like I know that I've brought, like I'll actually bring a tin of um, condensed milk and a little tin opener because sometimes the coffee that they have in the hotel rooms isn't good. And um, coffee is very, very important. I would have had a big problem, Catherine, if I'd have been there that morning. It <laughs> 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 uh, would have been a disaster. But um, So I, I, I bring things from home so that I can sort of set up some little nice things for myself that I can look forward to. And so the ritual of setting it up helps me in the evening and knowing that when I wake up, it will be waiting for me. That's That's something that really helps me a lot. That's so lovely. Yeah. I'm traveling with you from now on. <laughs> that sounds nice. 
Um, so this is Sharon. I, I also like to yeah. take baths. I'm sorry. I also really like to take baths. I'm usually staying in a really nice hotel room and, um, you know, usually you look at the big bathtub and think, like, oh, that would be nice. I never get to it. And now I, I prioritize that. That's what I look forward to. When I'm cutting out of things a little early, it's usually to head back to my room and take a bath and put on the fluffy white hotel bathrobe mm-hmm. and putter around the room and I mean actually I usually stay in really nice hotel rooms too for my, for my work travel and so um, uh, I actually enjoy the rooms you know I really try and, and and enjoy it you know turn the lights on so that it's like kind of not totally bright but kind of like moody lighting and um, just kind of snuggle in and enjoy a couple hours like with no kids around and um, you know all of that stuff. Yeah, I can remember thinking in in the beginning that when I was drinking, I kind of had this active fantasy of of what if I could just check out of my life altogether and just you know go to an insane asylum and just check in and not have to deal with anything. And then I realized that I sort of had a nice opportunity to to do a little bit of that in a hotel room, like I'm away from all the pressures of life, or even if I was there for work, but that few hours that I was in the room could kind of be my little away from my lifetime to, to regroup. I don't know if that's emotionally healthy, but that was, that was the approach that I took. I had the same fantasy of, of checking out or checking in <laughs> to uh, a psych ward or just someplace that would just keep me. <laughs> Just take care of people. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally relate I mean, to really. that. <laughs> um, I was thinking that, you know, work travel in particular can be very lonely. Um and which Sharon alluded to that when you're you're away from home and you can't connect with your family and we talk about halls, hungry, angry, lonely, tired being our big triggers. And so loneliness, you know, that can be a big trigger. So um, you know, I call, text, or email sober friends. If I have time, depending on my, my schedule, I will find a recovery meeting um, if I can. My sober friends around the country know that I will drop in and say, okay, I'm going to be in town. Who's who's going to meet up for dinner or coffee? Um, there's also online meetings available that that you can look into if, if that's part of your program. And then, as Sharon mentioned, why not listen to the Bubble Hour? Um, <laughs> we're we're world travelers now. And then the last thing on the work stuff is that I try to adhere to the principle of keep it simple. And you know, I don't have to respond to all 780 emails in one night. So, you know, there are things that can wait that I can delegate and. Yeah, quite honestly, sometimes things will fall through the cracks, but now that I'm sober, they don't feel like catastrophes, and I'm better able to fix them now that I'm sober. So, you know, work travel is just going to come with time pressures that you'll have things that you'll have to catch up on, and it's a little stressful, but keep it simple. And and that really, that helps me stay sober. So a lot of this will apply to the the vacation travel, but maybe we can talk about what our ideal vacations kind of looked like before, how drinking alcohol fit into them then, and then kind of what the ideal vacation looks like now. So, Jean, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I would say that my 
my mental postcards of our really great vacations before I quit drinking were all like mental pictures of my husband and I having different cocktails in different places, right? So wiki whackers on Catalina Island and um uh you know wine in San Francisco and it was it was what we drank and where we drank it. Um uh, San Antonio, you know, I had uh, my first um, tequila margarita in San Antonio, and it was just absolute the best thing ever, you know. And so uh, all of my memories were, you know, what we drank, and um, that was those were sort of the high points for me was the food and the drinks that went with them. And I was really very afraid, actually, of what it would be like for my husband and I to go on vacations after I quit drinking because I felt like I was going to ruin something that we really enjoyed a lot. Mm-hmm. And it it was very hard at first, I think, to get used to, um, probably harder for me than for him, but um, because it was actually me who was making alcohol the center of my universe. And, um, and now I just find that we just really do a lot more, and, and I really experience more fully where I'm at. So um, in December, I had four days in New York City, and I barely stopped to eat. Uh, I never went inside a bar at all, whereas, you know, five years ago, it would have just, I probably would not have seen as much, remembered as much, but I was just so present and had so much energy, and um, it's a completely different experience now. And Which I can vouch for because I kidnapped <laughs> you for part of one of those days. <laughs> Which was the highlight, the absolute highlight. <laughs> and it was just, it was such a special, triumphant experience. And it was hot on the heels, I have to tell you this, hot on the heels of one of the worst vacations I've ever been on because I went against my gut and I did go on a, a week's vacation on an all-inclusive like destination wedding with a large group And I kind of thought, this is really going to be not, I shouldn't, this isn't a good idea for me, but I can probably handle it. And I didn't drink on that trip, but it was really, really hard and really, um, I was stuck. I had to work very hard to get through that week. So vacations now can be great, but you have to set yourself up for success, I think. Hmm. So I probably wouldn't go on a a wine tour like you can go on vacations and have a great time without drinking but probably you don't want to go on a tour of wineries and drink bottled water through the whole thing right that's probably not going to be fun for right. me or you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you have to use a little bit of good judgment in what you choose but i think i now i remember i i experience things more fully because I've, I've heard it said a lot that um we we used alcohol to numb the bad feelings that we have, but in doing so, they also numbed a lot of the great things that were happening to us. And so now mm-hmm. we can just more fully experience all of that. I love that. I do too. I was I was thinking about this that I, you know I got married a few months ago and I I had a sober honeymoon and so. When people say, you know, how can you go to Paris or Rome or, you know, any of these places where we actually went, um, you know, how can you enjoy them sober? The reality for me is that I couldn't because I would, I mean, meaning if I were drinking, I couldn't enjoy them. Um, 
you know, I just, I'd be obsessing about where to get the next drink and I'd be passed out at inopportune times or I'd be drunk and just missing it. And instead, it's just like Jean is saying, you know, really being mindful during the whole trip. I just, I got to appreciate, I had this moment of sitting on a rooftop in Athens and looking at the Acropolis and the Parthenon at mm. sunset, we were eating dinner and the sun was going down and the whole city was covered in pink light. And then they have this uplighting on the Acropolis and the Parthenon that starts going up as the moon and the stars are coming out. And I was like, this is my life. You know, this is amazing. And when I had to get up to go to the ladies room, I wasn't worried about lurching. No, I wasn't missing the food. I wasn't missing out on, hey, there's the first star of the night. Make a wish. We're in Athens. This is unbelievable. Um, Mm -hmm. I was, I was there. You know, that's that was unbelievable. Mm, That's Um, beautiful. That's amazing. Sharon, how about you? Do you have any uh, sort of vacation thoughts? Um, um. Vacation um, has never, well, has recently not been a big drinking thing for me. The work travel was was harder. Um, we go skiing a fair amount, and um, I've been known to, well, I shouldn't say it's not a bit. Oh, drink, all drinking is a problem for me. Um, I've been known to, like, go to Breckenridge, let's say, and, like, the first night there, get drunk on beer, and then have alpha food sickness for the next three days. So, like, I, you know, absolutely can't function because I dehydrated myself so so poorly the first day. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I don't even know why I said drinking on vacation is not a problem. It was a problem. Um, but I guess because the, the consequences were so severe, um, it was easy for me when we went skiing this year. It was easy for me to be like, you know, no, I'm yeah. not drinking. I'm drinking a lot of water. Soda. We actually got this juice um, out in Colorado called Tampico, which comes in like it's this cheap, cheap juice, and it's like neon colors, and it's um, it comes in gallon, like milk gallon bottles for like two dollars. So of course it's like super healthy. Um, <laughs> we bought a bunch of those, and the kids and I would just like mix them up, and you know, like make these Tampico cocktails, and you know, just not cocktails, we didn't call them cocktails, but we called them like, you know, um, I forget what we called them, but it was just Tampico, and we just drank a ton of that, um, so much so that I was feeling sick by the end of the week, because I don't do very many things in moderation, um, <laughs> but, you know, again, like, finding something fun, finding something so that I don't feel deprived um, has mm. been key for me, because um, I like, I just generally like having fun, and I don't want, I don't want sobriety to feel like a punishment ever and it hasn't been um, but I don't want to be in any situation vacation or business or things where I feel like you know I'm really depriving myself here um, so I try to find alternates that are um, you know somewhat healthier yeah I mean it's such a, it's such a good point and that that was that was my thing too I would always think like oh you know I deserve these drinks I'm on vacation and then you know, I was thinking about it on this on my honeymoon, which was my last vacation. Um, it was like, you know, sitting in Paris at a cafe was a treat. <laughs> like I needed more <laughs> treat. Yeah, <laughs> like that's unbelievable. 
Um, I will note that it is uh, possible to find recovery meetings on vacation. So, for example, on cruise ships, um, you can ask or, or, or look on their um, daily itinerary. Um, also, you know, websites in advance. So places like Disneyland uh, have recovery meetings there. I'll also note that there are English-speaking meetings all over the world. Um, and I, I've actually even heard people tell me that going to a meeting, if you're in a foreign country and they're speaking a foreign language, that that can still provide that friendship and support. Um, I have not experienced that, but I've, I've heard people tell me that that can still be really helpful. Um, and then I was thinking about this thing about vacations. Jean kind of mentioned these all-inclusive things. So it's kind of the, op up, the open bar or the swim-up swim bar um, or just sort of this free-flowing booze of, on, our, on our honeymoon. The hotel in uh, Athens sent this bottle of champagne to the hotel room because we were on our honeymoon. And I just walked in and was like, really? Like, okay. <laughs> and uh, I, I went out onto the, the balcony of the – my husband wasn't there. We had gone to the spa, so we were at different timing. And um, I sat outside in the balcony and was looking at the Parthenon, of course, with this thing kind of, you know, speaking to me, um, you know, from the room. But But, Amanda, how do you deal with that when you're somewhere where there's an open bar or something like that? Well, um, well, just to back up a little, my my vacations were I always I went to the Caribbean every year and I went to all inclusives and I never considered going on a cruise ship because I was afraid of the <laughs> the you know they they do your drinks separately and I never thought of going anywhere that didn't have the booze included um, because I just I, I was the one you know lead, I would meet everyone in the whole place and you know all those crazy games and stuff that they had. I was, you know, doing every last one of them and a ringleader because um, I was just a little party girl. But, um, you know, now I'm actually looking forward to um, – I haven't gone on vacation and um, since I got sober, you know, like to, away, and I want to get back to going to the Caribbean. Um, but I was on probation for the first two years, so I couldn't leave the state without permission and I wasn't going to try to go out of the country. I always feel like such a um, bad girl on this show. Like <laughs> I couldn't leave, <laughs> but that's just my story. Um, but I, um, I'm looking forward you own to. It. I own it. Yeah, you own it. That's right. <laughs> I do. Um, I, what I'm looking forward to is going away on a trip that doesn't need to be an all-inclusive, and the focus is more on where I'm going. Because, you know, most of those all-inclusives, not all of them, but the ones I went to were not, like, the highest-end places. So I'd like to go somewhere really nice and really – I mean, I always did go on, you know, like, snorkeling and all those different trips, but it didn't have to be on the booze cruise. You know, I'd, there's other ways of enjoying it. And, um, you know, and I, I look back, too, you know, I went to um, Italy for 18 days with my half-sister when I was 22, and it was before – alcoholism had me in my grips and we toured the whole country we had a train pass and we stayed in hostels and we drank once and we had set we had a blast and so um i guess you know i'd probably you know if i was somewhere 
you know, when I do go somewhere, I'd still participate. I like I, I like being social. I like being with people that are drinking, but I can also leave. You know, there were there were people that I met, and I just thought they were insane, like they didn't drink. And I was like, well, how, why are you at an all-inclusive? And, you know, I guess it is possible, but I probably, I, you know, one thing is I, I wouldn't go on, you know, like Jean said, I wouldn't, I'm not going to go on a tour of a winery. Um, but I'm going to go to a place where the focus is, um, you know, getting up and going for a walk on the beach, doing different things, things that I would do, but I would, you know, I would go for a walk on the beach if I knew that there were bars that I could stop at on the way. Um, I mean, it, it's just my priorities are completely different. And, you know, I love the idea of, you know, spending the money on the other things that are so enjoyable, like getting a massage on the beach. They always have that there. And I was like, well, that's an hour away from the bar. I mean, it's it's so re- – I mean, I was glued to the hotel when I would go on those trips instead of taking off and really enjoying, you know, the islands and, you know, what what it has to offer. Um, so that's, you know, that's my plan. I mean, that's something I plan on doing very soon. I need to do very soon. Um, but I'm just going to approach it a little bit differently. Ooh, it sounds Catherine, like some fun, fun travel planning coming up. Yeah, Jean, was that yeah. you? That was me. I'm trying to pipe in. I, I have a, a story to share with you. Um, you. You mentioned that bottle of champagne in your hotel room. And uh, I was talking to a fellow who is a professional speaker so he's always going to conferences and speaking and he says the organizers are forever sending a bottle of wine to his room to thank him but he's in recovery so he says what he does is he takes the wine and puts it in the elevator and pushes all the buttons on the elevator and then goes back to his room and sends the wine off on a little adventure because he likes the idea of someone going to step on the elevator and finding this bottle of wine sitting there waiting for them and having it make their day and so oh, it relieves cool. him of his problem of being alone in the room with this wine and gives a little, you know, happy gift to someone who might benefit from it. So it's, I, it I love that It goes on its story. little adventure. Yeah, I love that yeah. too. I, I, I wish I had known that. Um, <laughs> all I could do was I was picturing the puzzled faces of the hotel people being like, these people are on their honeymoon. They didn't drink the champagne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is was, this is Sharon. Uh, one of my first one of my first business trips after the winery trip, I went to to a hotel in New York, and um, they had a red a bottle of red wine, which was my favorite at the time. Just sitting on a on the desk with a wine opener and two wine glasses, and I had a little bit of a panic attack, and I I took it and I I. <laughs> Carried it down to the front desk, and I handed it back to the to the. Um, and I'm sure there was a better way of handling it, but I was just having a panic attack. Like it just had to be done. And I handed it back to the guy at the front desk, and he looked at me really puzzled. And there was a woman checking in next to me, and I could see as they were walking away that there was like some like whisper, or like you know what was that about kind of thing. And for about two minutes, maybe five, maybe ten minutes. It stuck with me, and I was really, like, mentally beating myself up about, you know, sort of embarrassing myself. And then I realized I was in Manhattan, and I was never going to see either of those people again. <laughs> so right, I just right. dropped it and let it go. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Of course, that's what I used to tell myself when I did something foolish if I was out of town and I was drunk. But this is a much better um this is a much better thing to be spoken of about if somebody's going to talk about it. <laughs> I think our wellness um, is worth a little bit of embarrassment or discomfort at times. I try to remind myself of that. Like it's, I'm, you know, I'm that's worth such it. a good point. 
Yeah, that we are worth it, and and that's such a good point. The the things that committing to our wellness is um, mm-hmm. we deserve that for sure. Mm-hmm. So, and I have to and say, we don't kid- timing. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, we, you know, a little embarrassment that, you know, they might be snickering under their breath compared to, you know, some of the scenes that we've probably caused. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is what I'm saying. Like, you know, flip it or, you know, flip it around. Like how, you know, like, you know, we've all talked about. Sharon was really talking about like how you look at the situation. If you flip it around, it's like, it's, uh, it's just so much better. It's like, well, I, 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 I was always very well known on all of my vacations. <laughs> That's not oh, yeah. necessarily a good thing. <laughs> no. And, you know, I have to say the timing of this show is so perfect. I I have a lot of travel coming up um, for the next three weeks, and I I really do get anxiety when I have that happening, and um, I'm already starting to, to build, build my body um, and, and prepare myself. So I have to say that this discussion has, has really helped me. Um, so, so starting with Jean, do you have any closing thoughts or comments on this whole topic? Um, well, I think I would really want to encourage listeners to be very proactive when they travel, to see it as a matter of self-care, self-care or health. Um, if you had, if if you had diabetes or anaphylaxis or sleep apnea, you know, you'd pack your EpiPen and your insulin and your um, breathing apparatus, whatever they call that thing. So we have to remember that, that we have um, a health condition that requires some foresight and some some care and um, some equipment to stay well, and that might be our runners and it might be um, our favorite teacup, you know, wrapped in bubble wrap in our suitcase, but we, we have to plan ahead and to keep ourselves well. That's my final thought. Yeah, I love that. Amanda, how about you? Um, I I guess I would just agree with Jean. I mean, I this has been such a fantastic show and I I you know, I really love the, you know, just the planning and um just keeping yourself safe. Um and, and packing your bubble and bringing it with you. That's the beauty of the bubble. You know, it can go anywhere and um you know, and the important thing is um to, you know, and I think I guess the the part I really like too is like turning your perspective. I love, you know, not looking at it as a punishment, but you know, looking at the rewards that you get instead. Because it's so. I mean, I can't, ima- I I can't even imagine how much more I'm going to enjoy my vacation sober because there's so much. You know, I'd come home and I'd remember half the trip. I mean, that's just right. no fun. And you know, and so being able to be fully present, like you said, with the Acropolis, and, and you know. Just being fully present, and just so, just you know, you know, as with anything else, just change the way you look at it. It's not a punishment mm-hmm. not to drink, not for us anymore. It's a punishment to drink, you know. And we have to, you know, it, it it takes some work to get that thought out of your head. It is it is not a punishment to not drink. That is our reward. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's just a little cognitive, you know, change in our thinking, and um, you know, it, it. I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah, it goes a long way, that's for sure. And, you know, with packing the bubble, I just I could really picture, and, and Sarah is so zen, you know, I, I could just picture her packing this beautiful little satchel with these lavender-scented oils and, and little things. That's just very comforting. I, I just, I'm really going to, I'm 
Sarah, I hope you're listening. I'm taking that suggestion with me on this this next round of travel. Um, Sharon, how about you? (laughs) M.M. a coffee. Oh, my God. I'll never be caught out again, Jean. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) (laughs) Sharon, how about you? Any closing thoughts? No, I just you know, want to say again that this um, this is uh, thank you so much for having me on here. Um, you know, uh, really bringing you guys with me, bringing the Bubble Hour Show with me on podcasts has really been um, um, a really important thing for me because again, not feeling alone is a key for me, especially in business yeah. travel. Like, not feeling that I'm the only person who ever has to deal with this. And I think sometimes um, in my mind, I can feel like you know. I'm the only person, like, why am I the only person here? Why am I the only Mm -hmm. person? So just keeping that in mind has just been a huge, huge help. And thank you guys for having me on. Thank you for being here, and it's such an important point to know that we're not alone. Um, that's, That's essential, and if we can even be a tiny little part of that for anybody, um, that's really humbling and would, would make me, that would help me to know that and make me feel very grateful. So as we sign off, as we do with every show, we'd like to direct you to our parent company, Shining Strong's website, which is www.shiningstrong.org. And there you'll find links to all of our resources, including The Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now, and links to some of the other initiatives we're involved in in our recovery advocacy. And if you'd like to go directly to The Bubble Hour's website, that is thebubblehour.com, T-H-E, bubblehour.com. And there you can listen to our shows directly from that website, or you can follow a link to subscribe to our podcast. We thank you all for listening to The Bubble Hour and hope you all have a great evening. Thank you, ladies. Take care. Thanks, Catherine. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Good night. night. Bye-bye. Bye.